Good morning, everyone. Can you guys hear me? Am I on? Am I good again? Okay. Oh, it's good to be here with you this morning. So you got to get that sigh of relief out of the way. Actually, the sigh of relief will come at the end. This is just the sigh of breaking it in. <laughs> it's so good to be with you uh, this morning. I just want to say, reiterate what I said last time, too. I'm so thankful for you, East Parkway, um, and just continue to give me opportunities to serve God and to explore where God is leading me, uh, like this morning. And so thank you for your patience and for your incredible support. Um, you would think that the second time is not as, yeah, I know, he's already shaking his head. It's still as nerve-wracking as the first time. Um, but no matter what happens this morning, my prayer and desire, not that anything bad will happen, but my prayer and desire is that God's truth would be heard and you guys would be encouraged. Last time I was up here, I preached out of Acts, and I said that the church, according to Acts, was devoted to prayer, uh, devoted to sharing the gospel, and devoted to community. Uh, went along with our church's theme of upward, outward, and inward. At that time, we were in chapter 2, uh, just after Pentecost, and after the church had experienced this immense growth. Um, and so today we're going to be back in Acts in chapter 4. Uh, in between then, John and Peter, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, healed a lame man, and then we're then able to uh, preach the gospel to so many people. Uh, as we see in Acts, it's kind of a common model. God uses these healings or miracles to then gather an audience, and the apostles are then able to teach to that audience. And so that's where we pick up today. Chapter 4, We read with me, um, verse 1. I know it says 23 through 31, and we'll get to 23, but I want to give you guys some background. So Acts 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That Jesus, uh, Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, and through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now, Lord, thankful for this opportunity to uh, be poured into. God, I pray that uh, you would remind us of your goodness and your character, who you are. Uh, God, that you would give me the words to say and the, wit and the way in which to say them. And God, I pray that we would be encouraged as we leave this morning at the end of, of church, uh, and that we would be emboldened to uh, live out the faith and to um, fight in every circumstance uh, to live a righteous and pure life for you. And so uh, we just give to you this right now. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. In our chapter this morning, the Sadducees, the priests, and the captain of the temple were annoyed at Peter and John because they were teaching, that testifying to Christ's resurrection, which was a no-go with those leaders. They didn't agree with that. They were arrested and kept overnight, but even then, the Holy Spirit was at work. And in verse 4, we see that the number of men that believed came to 5,000. That's incredible, even while Peter and John are in prison. The next morning, uh, the next day, there's kind of an interrogation of sorts, a hearing, and uh, they ask, by what authority or power did they heal and teach? And in verse 8, Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, tells them with great conviction and belief that they are doing these things in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But he doesn't just give them the name. He replies with a few more words, right? He uh, doesn't just say Jesus. I'm sure he can't help himself. Uh, but he goes beyond and shares who Jesus is, the Christ that they rejected, the one and only Savior, the one they put on the cross. And then we come down to verse 13, and I really like this verse. It was clear to everyone that Peter and John were just normal guys, uneducated, common men, and yet those interrogating were astonished because it was so clear that there was something different about them. And that difference was that they had been with Christ, We'll come back to that later this morning. The leaders then get together and discuss what should be done, which lands them at telling Peter and John to not share anymore. And of course, Peter and John say that's not going to be possible. Uh, we have to share what we've been through. We have to share the experience we've had with Christ. In verse 21, they let them go because they couldn't find any way to punish them because of the people. The leaders often went with the sway of the people. They didn't want to cause any uprisings, and the people were all praising God. It's truly a great picture here. And so now we arrive at our passage this morning, verse 23. Um, Peter and John then go back to their community, their friends, and tell everyone what happened. And in response to hearing what happened, they come together and they pray this prayer from verse 24 to verse 30. 
And in this prayer, uh, they pray, uh, they shout for God's, um, it's a prayer that shouts of God's sovereignty. It asks for his healing, and it begs for God's, uh, for boldness. And then in verse 31, we see that God answers. And this is what I want to focus on today. There's a lot in here, verses 23 through 31. Um, Even talking with Wayne earlier this week, there's a lot of sermons that can be found in this passage. But today I want to focus on three things. The church, according to Acts, had a reason for prayer. We want to talk about their root of prayer and, their res- and the response to prayer. I think it will be encouraging to see how God moved and worked in their lives so long ago at the beginning of the church in a world so corrupt and in need of Christ and how we can relate that world to the one we live in today that is also corrupt and in need of Christ. So let's focus on those three things. The first, the reason for prayer. I love that their response to what happened to the lives, in the lives of Peter and John, their first thing to do was to pray. I guess there could have been celebration for being released, or maybe there could have been fear on their part that it could happen to them, but their first response is to pray. Why are they praying? The reason for their prayer. It was because of opposition, right? In their prayer, they recognized the forces of this world that were set against Christ and are therefore set against them. Verse 25 through 27 tells us about the world, the kings of the earth, the rulers, Herod, Pontius Pilate, even the people, all gathered together against God's holy servant and son, Jesus. It's the same Jesus that they are claiming to serve and claiming to be their savior. They know that siding with Jesus is going to mean facing the same opposition that Jesus faced. The same opposition that put an innocent man on trial, who put their creator on the cross, and who refused to believe in Christ's resurrection. So when Peter and John are on trial, I'm sure it could have been a heavy moment realizing that Jesus was in a similar situation just moments ago. The church of Acts was not ignorant to what they were going to face. We too have a reason to pray today. We too should not be ignorant to what we will go through. Do we also not face opposition in this world? Do we not face opposition from society, from our country, uh, from the workplace, at school, From the enemy around every corner, as Wayne preached last week, Satan is waiting and ready to pounce on every opportunity that could bring us down. In a time where laws are being passed, impurity and adultery are rampant and almost unstoppable, organized terror and violence are constant and done unashamedly, we too definitely have a reason to pray today. We as Christians, through all this opposition, can start to feel marginalized or pushed to the side. We may feel like we're being uh, disregarded or pushed to the sidelines and that, us, that can cause us to think that we're useless or ineffective. We sometimes may think that the only way to be effective would to be at the center of the world stage and to have everyone's ear in the world, but we often don't find ourselves in that position. This thought of being ineffective from the margins and kind of being off to the side and wondering what to do reminded me of a story uh, from one of my favorite authors, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. Some of you may be familiar, some of you may have no idea. I know that some of you are bigger fans than I, so if I get anything wrong, you can correct me afterwards. But I hope that this helps illustrate the point. Um, So just to give you a little recap, in Lord of the Rings, uh, there's a bad guy. There's a ring of power. This ring of power, if it's in the bad guy's hands, the world is doomed. If the good guys can destroy it, there's hope for a better future. So the book is all about uh, this fellowship of nine companions trying to destroy the ring. Um, Somewhere in the second book or second movie, whichever one you prefer, uh, the fellowship is split up. They find themselves all over the place, and two of them find themselves in a forest. 
the hobbits, which are the small ones. Um, the hobbits find themselves in a forest, an ancient for forest that's been around for thousands and thousands of years since the beginning of uh, this Middle Earth. And the trees in this forest are living. They can talk, they can walk, uh, they're living trees. But they, for most recent time, they've been forgotten. They, they haven't moved, they haven't done anything, they haven't been a part of the world because they feel like the world's forgotten them and so they just want to be distant and removed. Um, two of the hobbits find themselves in the middle of this forest and they find themselves talking to one of these living trees, these Ents. And this Ent, um, they're, they're kind of conveying, like, here's our mission, help us out. This is what's going on in the world, and they just don't seem to care. They're like, that's your mission, we're content to just stay on the sidelines. We don't really want to get involved with what's going on in Middle Earth. Um, so they kind of escort these hobbits to the edge of this forest. They're kind of ushering them home, like, you guys should be on your way. And this hobbit, in one last kind of cry of desperation, just says to them, but you're a part of this world. And they come to the edge of the forest, almost in that exact moment, and they see that part of the forest has been destroyed. One of the bad guys in the story has been chopping down the forest, killing these trees. And all at once, it, sh it stirs within uh, this end, the reality that's set in, that he can no longer avoid uh, what's happening. And so he cries, he, you know, he lets out this cry and he gets all the other trees and the ends together and it's like this moving forest goes and attacks this bad guy. Not the main one, it's like a different bad guy. And you gotta read the story, it's good. <laughs> it's great. Uh, but seeing this and what the hobbits said to them, it stirs them into action. And they rally together, the ants, and they take down the bad guy and they start this process of restoration in that part of the land all because they realize that they were a part of that world. And that's what we need. We cannot be content to just be a part, to just be in this world. We're called to action. Um, we can't avoid uh, the conflict. We need to wake up and realize that with the Holy Spirit through us, God can do so much. The ends in the story end up coming together and putting an end to the brutality and destruction. Um, again, like I said, this, uh, it was a changing point for them, all because they realized they could not avoid the opposition that was facing them head on. Have you ever felt ineffective or on the sidelines, or maybe you are even struggling with being content to be there in that place or content to be marginalized? It can be tempting to do so. But this passage right here, the church according to Acts says otherwise and proves that feeling wrong, proves that we can be effective even from the margins. They knew the opposition and didn't pray for the opposition to go away. They didn't pray for their hardships to disappear. They didn't ask for no more troubles. They didn't even ask to be at the center of the world Instead, they pray for boldness. They ask God to do whatever he's going to do. In verse 28, whatever he has predestined, they just ask that as it happens, they can continue to live for the gospel with boldness. Now, what is boldness? Uh, boldness is not, afraid of, is not being afraid of danger or difficult situations. Boldness is a, a, very, is a confidence in a way that may seem rude or even reckless. Uh, when someone is bold, the response can often, when they say something bold or do something bold, the response can often be like, oh, that was a little strong. Um, it's more than confidence. It's more than courage. Without God, those actions or words would be foolish, but because it's rooted and founded in Christ, these actions and words are bold. What's true for these people in Acts 4 is that their boldness is because of Christ. And that leads to my second point, the root of prayer. Where does this boldness come from? The priests and leaders were wondering the same thing in verse 13, and they recognized that they had been with Christ. The reason behind their prayer for boldness is, their, is because of their belief in God. 
The people saw that these men were different. They understood where their boldness came from. It came from their experience with Christ. And Peter and John's friends have that same faith. Their prayer is rooted in their belief in God. And once someone has experienced God in their life, their life is never the same, forever changed, either drawn closer to God or, unfortunately, more sadly, sometimes being drawn farther away. But as we know, these men, these apostles, and uh, this church has been changed and powered, and they're now speaking and praying with a boldness that obvious, is so obvious to everyone around them that it's of the Lord. So shifting back to that prayer, they are rooted by their knowledge of God. In verse 24 and then 28 through 30, they recognize God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty over all the world from the beginning of time. They know and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. They see the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of them and as they live out the gospel in their community. So how could they not feel rooted and emboldened to face any opposition when they realize that they have the entire Trinity behind them, empowering them, supporting them? And that boldness is available to us here today. We can find our root of such prayer from God. It's the same God today who is sovereign looking after us. Jesus died for our sins too, and the Holy Spirit is still with us doing work. We can be bold in our prayers, bold in our approach of spreading the gospel, bold in our approach to opposition because we too have experienced Christ. Verse 13 can happen to us. We can come together and pray to the God, creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. We know that whatever happens has been according to his hand and his plan and is predestined to take place. We can pray to God who sees all the threats surrounding us today and ask God to give us boldness to keep exercising faith and to speak his truth in all situations, no matter what happens. On just a side note here, I like that this prayer in 24 through 30 is even fashioned after the way that Jesus had taught them to pray. It starts with praising God uh, for who he is, recognizing that he is God. It uh, then goes to uh, asking that God's will be done, and then ask that through whatever happens, that God would provide for them. It's a good reminder for us to pray likewise today. Like I mentioned in my last point, they didn't ask for anything to go away. They pray for something different. In verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There's a part, um, oh no. Oh yeah, there's a partnership with Christ, sorry, that we have in living for him and spreading his gospel. They recognize that partnership. They knew they would be opposed just as Christ was, but they knew, that Christ, they knew what Christ's ascension meant for them as well, that they too will ascend to be with God and that others could experience that eternal life. Do we emulate that mindset in our lives? This partnership isn't just to ride the waves of hardship in life, but to also participate in the restoring work of Christ. So in their prayer, they're asking to be bold in the renewal and revival of people's lives and for the sin in this world to be confronted with the healing power of Jesus Christ. It's not a boldness that we often see today in extremists or radical movements, a confidence in being contrary that's often based on violence and destruction, which, as I said earlier, because it's not rooted in Christ, that's just foolishness. It's a, it's a boldness that comes um, from God. So this different kind of boldness, it's a, it's a prayer to be a part of God's all-encompassing work in a person's life. The boldness that they have comes from who God is and that God is on their side. They are praying to be bold in the midst of it all. 
There are several accounts of some pretty crazy situations in the Bible based on servants of God exercising boldness because of their faith in him. Remember the wall in Jericho? Even uh, Even though the people were bigger, the walls were thicker, and the odds were stacked against them, they followed God, went to battle, and brought down that city. That took more than just courage. That took boldness. What about Gideon having to face an enemy larger than his because God kept whittling down his numbers just to 300 and with a bizarre strategy and yet pretty ingenious, without even having to fight, the enemy was defeated. That was more than courage. That was boldness. This is my favorite. One of the, sto- the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, being in a foreign land under a foreign ruler, being told to bow down to a false idol, because of their faith in God, they not only uh, refuse to, to bow down, but they're ready to face the consequences of their actions. And so they're thrown into the fire, a fire so hot that it killed the soldiers who threw them in. I don't know if I've ever been around a fire that hot. That's it's insane. And yet they stood in the middle of that fire, unscathed by the heat or the flame, and they stood with Christ, emboldened in their faith. And now we come to where Peter and John are on trial facing punishment for their actions, facing an unknown outcome, just like I said, that I'm sure that what happened to Jesus was on their mind in that moment. And they too are able to speak the truth with boldness. These are just a few examples from the Bible. I started pondering from my own life, when have I ever uh, exercised boldness in the faith? And what came to mind was actually just a moment where I was encouraged to be bold. Just a month or so ago, uh, my friend Ben and I, Ben, you guys know him, he led worship here with his wife Kristen. Ben and I went down to Santa Cruz to visit our friend Kevin. Uh, Kevin is uh, a friend from college, so Ben, Kevin, and I, we all went to college together. Kevin's a youth pastor down in Southern California, and he went to, he took his youth group to Mount Hermon over the weekend. So Ben and I went down to visit. Um, we got to hear Kevin give his last message that night uh, to his students, and then the next morning we all grabbed coffee, and it was just so good to hear what God was doing in Kevin's life and, and through his ministry in the church um, it really spoke to me, the way that he approached his ministry. Even hearing him speak, I, I, I've been friends with Kevin, but I, you know, he doesn't speak to me. Like I don't sit down and he gives me a lesson. So I have never heard him speak before. And it was just so good to hear him, um, how he delivered the message, how he invited those kids to uh, follow Christ with everything that they had, helping them recognize why they were serving in Santa Cruz. Um, it was a, a huge moment in my life just to talk with him. And it reminded me of this passage in Acts that it was so obvious that the way, what Kevin had was of God. The way he taught, uh, what he said, it was all based on his relationship with God. And it was encouraging to me to see that in one of my peers, to see that lived out. And I think that's what the church of Acts was going through right here. To see Peter and John uh, live out their boldness, or live out their, their faith with boldness, encourage them to do the same. Hence their prayer to be bold. We today who claim to have faith in God, who have genuine relationship with Christ, can live with boldness when we are rooted in him. And when we pray with boldness, we need to expect the spirit to work. And this brings me to my third point, the response to prayer. 
So we have the reason for prayer, the root of prayer, and now the response of prayer. The response we see in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The ESV study Bible says that the place where they were gathered was shaken as if by an earthquake. I can just imagine how happy, excited, and overjoyed and pumped up God must be that after a prayer like that, he just shakes the place. It's cool. I mean, I, I was trying to think of the last time that I was that excited or pumped up, and I think it would have to be um, when I got engaged. Becky and I were on the beach. I just proposed. We kind of found each other in this embrace, and we're just shaking each other, like letting reality set in, like, is this real? We're getting married. <laughs> <laughs> I think the time before that, <laughs> there's a lot of moments of, like, shaking. Uh, the time before that, I think, was, one that stands out was uh, in when I was playing competitive soccer a long time ago, uh, on the big stage, on, under the lights, uh, scored the best goal of my life, and afterwards, just kind of running around the field like this, shaking my arms, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's exactly that, you're so excited that you just have a physical reaction. Wayne still gives me flack for that celebration. <laughs> I think he remembers that celebration more than the goal itself. But. That's what we see here in Acts. That's the response to prayer that we see from God in this passage. So happy, so excited, so overjoyed. This was the rare and extraordinary thing of seeing a physical manifestation of God's excitement and affirmation and encouragement to continue in their boldness, founded in their love and faith in him. I'll say that again because it's, it's rich and it's good. This is a rare and extraordinary thing of seeing a physical manifestation of God's excitement and affirmation and encouragement to continue in their boldness founded in their love and faith in him. The more we see him, the more we experience him, the more we should crave him. It's this perpetual motion of constantly growing in our desire for God and to see him work in us and through us. That's kind of like this. We see God work and we're encouraged and so we, are, we then pray for more. We, we pray for, to see God work more. So we pray and then we, got, we see God answer. And he answers again. And so we grow in our faith. And then we expect even more. We pray for more. God answers that. And it's this continual motion and ongoing and ongoing of seeing God work, uh, being filled with um, just his truth and realizing who he is and the potential, this uh, unfathomable potential for his goodness that we continue to pray for more and for more. God answers, we pray for more. This perpetual motion of growing in, God's, in our knowledge of God. That's what this shaking started. This shaking was a part of that perpetual motion. It started within the apostles and that church to keep praying, expect more, expect God to answer. Calvin says that God did not only just hear this prayer, but did also testify the same by a visible sign from heaven. The shaking itself doesn't really do too much, but it shows that God is with them, present with them as they face those oppositions and with them as they move forward. It was an example to them, and it's an example to us. The shaking of the place was designed to strike awe upon them, to awaken and raise their expectations, to give them a sensible token that God was with them. Maybe God was reminding them of what is in Haggai 2.7. I shake all the nations and will fill this house with glory. I think that's exactly what happened in that moment. It was to remind them that they are to fear God more than men. 
which affects their approach to the opposition from men. Right? If we fear God more than men, we can face opposition with boldness, with courage, with confidence, knowing that God will get us through whatever that is. Matthew Henry says this, The place was shaken that their faith might be established and unshaken. I love that. That's, if you write anything down today, just write that down in regards to Acts 4. Their pl- the place was shaken that their faith might be established and unshaken. This is where our desire should be as well. I want God to shake this place, this church, because he's so proud of us that we get it. We get it. We get the fact that opposition will come, and despite everything, we'll still be focused on God. We'll still love him through it all. We won't be praying for those things to go away. We'll be praying for boldness. Their prayer was that God would work in in their midst and in an immediate way that authenticates the gospel. And he answered. God answers prayer. He does not just hear us, but when our hearts are aligned with his, when our hearts break for what breaks his, when we yearn for what he yearns for, he answers prayer. I think today we can be lulled into thinking that God only answers in ways unseen, or in a timing that is delayed that we won't notice, or maybe we just are always longing for the wrong things, therefore we don't see his answers, or maybe he answers in more no's than yeses, or maybe he just doesn't answer in the way that he used to in the Bible. I don't think that's true. In this passage, we see so clearly that God answered and that he can answer immediately. And he can make sure that unmistakably we know that it is him. We also have to be careful as to what we accept as the response of prayer. Is it really of the Lord? Is what's happening right now, is what's being said, is this really of God? David Platt in his book Radical says this, I am frightened by the reality that the church I lead, remember this is him saying it, I'm not frightened, okay? I am frightened by the reality that the church I lead can carry on most of our activities smoothly, efficiently, even successfully, never realizing that the Holy Spirit of God is virtually absent from the picture. We can so easily deceive ourselves mistaking the presence of physical bodies in a crowd for the existence of spiritual life in a community. I think that's true for all churches. We have to be aware of that. But he goes on to say that the book of Acts shows a people, uh, paints, it paints a different picture. It, it shows a people that know they need God's power. They're just normal, common men, uneducated. So what are they doing? They're not plotting for more strategies or for the smartest way to go about it, but rather joining together in prayer. And I think they're expecting God They aren't expecting God to respond in strategies. They are pleading for the power of God, and they are confident that nothing will happen without him. So what happens? In Acts, we see that God sends his spirit, and it all changes. We, too, can expect a reaction from God when we recognize that we need him, and it's only by him that anything will happen. And it may even be an immediate response, but we have to trust him. We have to know him. So in closing... I don't know what time we started, but I got through this a lot faster than I thought I was. (laughs) So in closing, Acts 4, we see that the church in Acts has a reason for prayer. We see their root for prayer and their response to prayer. We need to pray for boldness. In the college group, we're going through a study that focuses on restarting uh, your relationship with Christ. And just this past week, we focused on prayer. Funny how God works that out. Dr. Floyd, uh, who put this study on, a pastor in Texas, said something that really 
uh, struck me. It said that no great movement of God has ever taken place that wasn't preceded by extraordinary prayer. I think that that is very true of Acts. In the study, he was referring to Nehemiah's response to hearing about the state of Israel, uh, hearing the danger that Israel was in without any walls to surround that city. But I think it's true of Acts as well. The first thing that they do is pray. God answered their prayers all throughout the book of Acts with the growth of his church, people being saved, souls being added to the kingdom. It's preceded by an extraordinary prayer. The same can be true of us today. We are faced with opposition. We have a reason to pray. It may not look like the same opposition that the Church of Acts faced, but even within this last calendar year, I think there's things that come to mind. Gender identity issues, gay marriage, ISIS, a government getting farther and farther away from any biblical truth. These difficult issues that we have to deal with, and we don't even have to necessarily deal with them directly, uh, but we have to take a stance on them. And it's a chance to take a stance on God's truth and to support God in the way that we live our lives and, and what we stand for. Just like the Church of Acts did, just as Peter and John did, we shouldn't necessarily ask for those troubles to go away. We shouldn't ask for those hard times we, we, that we don't want to face them, but we should just be praying for boldness as we surrender to God's design and plan and ask that we have strength to be his light in an ever-growing darkness. Just like the Church of Acts here, we too can experience boldness in our lives as long as we are rooted in God. It was because of their knowledge of God, their memories of Christ, and their experience with the Holy Spirit that they grew in faith and that souls were gained for the kingdom. This calls us to be intentional and purposeful and consistent in our pursuit of God. Just like we're studying in youth group right now in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowing God comes first and foremost in our lives. The more we know God, the better prepared we are to face this world. It really is first and foremost in our lives. I tell my students this, and I know I speak from a little place of ignorance because I'm not married yet, but I always tell them, I said, imagine the most important relationship in your life. It's not going to be your marriage. It's your relationship with God. But imagine how you would talk with your, with your wife or your spouse. You talk to them every day. So don't put God in a corner. Don't give him just 15 minutes, and then when that 15 minute comes, just say, uh, I'll get to you tomorrow. Because you don't do that with your most important relationships in reality. You talk to them. You live with them. You, you share with them. We have to do the same thing with God. We have to put God first and foremost in our lives that we can know him better and then be prepared to face whatever happens in our lives. And then we can expect a response from God. In the midst of opposition, if we, are tr if we truly know Christ, then we can expect God to work. Yes, his ways are higher than ours, but we can know that God works. Don't have to necessarily know how, but we know that God works. We can expect great things. It's that perpetual motion of prayer. We want to see God work, that it would encourage us, and that we could pray for more, expect more, and then be encouraged as God answers that. Oh, I'm serious. I would love to see this place shake. East Parkway, shake right now. We need that. We need a sign from God. We need affirmation in our faith. We need a, we need a thirst for him more. We need our hearts to be aligned with his. I have no doubt in my mind that if God were to shake this church right now, we would experience a level of affirmation in our faith like never before. There would be no doubt that it was from God, and we'd be desiring God even more. It would just be incredible. I kept thinking as I was preparing, like, what if God did shake this place when I said that? It'd be crazy. All right. Well, I hope that that was encouraging to you.
who's encouraging me to prepare. May we all be bold as we live out our faith. Let's pray. God, we recognize that you are sovereign over this world, no matter what happens. And there's a lot of bad stuff happening around us. God, you are sovereign. You are in control. You've predestined these things to take place. And we want to pray for your boldness. We don't want to ask to to get those out of our way. We don't want to ask for the content life. But we want to be bold in our approach of serving you, that in everything uh, we face, we can be a light. Uh, We can spread your truth. God, I pray that you would help us to remember that in those times to pray first, the first thing we should do is pray. God, we have a reason for prayer every day. God, I pray that you'd help us in our pursuit of you. Uh, Making you first and foremost in our lives is so important. The more we know you, the better we are prepared to face anything in this world. And God, I pray that we would see you respond. Help us open our eyes to how you work and what you're doing in our lives, that we could be encouraged, that we could be affirmed, that we could be, um, we could just see and be a part of the work that you're doing, that we could pray for more and expect more. I want that perpetual motion of prayer to be a reality in our lives. God, we're thankful for what you're doing, and we thank you for who you are. We love you, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.